Good evening, Ben. Good evening, mate. How are you? Really well. I'm too excited about the next guest. This is going to be a really, really good couple of podcasts. Words can't describe how excited I was to record that, to the point where, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening, this is about our 15th take, because we're just too excited to get the words out. <laughs> it's, ri- it's ridiculous. I don't think we should do it anymore. Should we just go for it? Mate, let's just go for it. Tonight we have a very special guest, Sarah Day from Prehistoric Experiences. Welcome, Sarah. Hello, everyone. Thank Hi, you, Sarah. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Myself and Ben had spoken probably a week or two before we actually contacted you, Sarah, and we were kind of saying that this is like our early days. This is for us. It's, it's, it's a very new thing, and mm. we chatted about how that campfire would have been many, many years ago. And it suddenly dawned on us that we thought we were doing something fresh, and it's not at all. It is no. it? It's been done. <laughs> it's a very old thing. <laughs> so, it's been done for millennia. Yeah, more than more than millennia. The oldest evidence of use of fire possibly goes back a million years, but that doesn't mean <laughs> making fire. But like the, the first deliberate use. That no, it's hard work. The earth, the earth is vast, and there's and not enough. Wouldn't leave any trace either. Really, there'd, yeah. be, there'd be nothing to see. Yeah, of course. So we'll we'll never know. It's always going to be a bit of a mystery. Yeah, <laughs> which is one of the things that is so intriguing about the topic that mm-hmm. we'll cover tonight. There is that bit of mystery, and you you never really do know. But what you do for for a living um, tries to recreate that and bring that past back into the modern day for us to try and well, give to learn a taste of it. Yeah, to learn from, isn't it? If you wanted to explain a little bit more about what you do, and please do mention your past, because quite frankly, you have the most epic CV. <laughs> it's, it's a pedigree, isn't it, Joss? <laughs> it's, uh, it's quite right. a quite a mix of things over the years. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I got into my love of the outdoors, I suppose, the same way most people do. As a kid, we we would go camping down at West Mersey, and um, you know, we would collect. And mussels and things on the beach we cook them on a fire and my grandma on my dad's side was quite intrepid um you know in her 70s she would just pack her push bike with a jar of marmalade and a thermos and she'd disappear for a week Barnes i love this already you know she was doing swallows and amazons stuff at the time that swallows and amazons is set you know she was sailing around the east anglian coast in a little wee dinghy with her dad and just camping on the beach which must have been quite unusual at the time, you know, That's incredible. A young woman to be doing that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I always loved the outdoors and we had a big garden full of weeds and derelict sheds and, you know, it was great fun. Uh, what really kicked things off, I suppose, was I, I got into fossil collecting and then that led to uh, wanting to find an arrowhead. I've still never found one or, a, you know, a tool because the local fossil hunting area supposedly you can find 
arrowheads there. I've never, never found one. Um, and then that led into bushcraft. And I was, I was Christmas shopping with my mum when I was about seven. And there was a book in WH Smith's, which was Ray Mears' first book. The old green one with the the nine pictures on the cover. Yeah, uh, and I have it, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's out of print now. It's really hard to get hold of. But the it was a brilliant book, and I I wouldn't step away from it. I was I was just completely mesmerised. All of the things that I was interested in were in one book, and I hadn't it hadn't occurred to me that they were part of the same subject before. Okay. Uh, and I it took me ages to connect him the the book with with him on the telly uh, and then with, yeah. with the fact that he had a company um but over the years i sort of tried bits and bobs in the book covered it in annotations it's got grubby fingerprints all over it <laughs> um, i started reenacting when i was quite young as well and, and through that i got to meet loads of uh, just brilliantly eccentric art experts in really weird niche historical arcane skills like someone knows how to make brass wire from brass sheet using only 16th century tools somebody else knows how to kill <laughs> that's, that's really neat you know, really just yeah all sorts of spinners we cheese makers you know I, I know i know someone sorry <laughs> my my dad has a friend and he has muskets mm -hmm. and he makes his own musket balls and yeah. stuff and exactly he, he could look at a musket ball from, that's been in the ground for 400 years and he'll know what's fired it and i'm thinking yeah oh, that's that's from a 1510 caliber uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's amazing um, so that and, and i've been doing it since i was seven so it was a huge influence and i suppose um because i i i did okay at school but i found it really difficult because i was an odd child and kids are mean uh, but then taking part in reenactments, it was it was suddenly it's not only OK to be yourself, to be a bit odd. It's actually positively encouraged. Yeah, it's important. Uh, massively important. Uh, and, and so that was that was a big, big influence. Um, and I still do it now. Um, right, OK. And then that, you know, carrying on into my teens, I decided that I wasn't going to go to university, didn't want to go. So I went and worked at a summer camp in Canada for three months. And nice. that was a sort of epiphany. I realized that I love canoeing, absolutely love canoeing, but also being outdoors makes me happy. It, it hadn't really yeah. made the connection before. It was like, I was miserable during college because I wasn't outside enough. Um, so I started thinking about <laughs> jobs that could, um, could mean I could spend time outdoors and something so this is my mum's fault <laughs> good old mum <laughs> so it's always I think bemused her a little bit you've, you've done you've done all right though on mum's <laughs> well, advice <laughs> <laughs> but the 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 thing that that came back to me at that that time was something she'd said I think I was supposed to be revising for my GCSEs or something and I wasn't I was outside flint napping as and she stormed out. She's like, "You can't just bang rocks together for the rest of your life." <laughs> and, uh, and I must have filed it away somewhere because when that moment of I need the job that's outdoors, um, that came back to me. It's like, well, "That's an idea. Maybe you can." Um, so I, I emailed Raymer's company, Woodlaw, at some god awful time in the morning as a spur of the moment thing, 
uh, and sort of said, you know, how do you all get into this line of work? Uh, it's a bit more complicated than that <laughs> these days. They've got a slightly different applications process. Um, and then I had to go on. A wow. That's, so that's, 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 you know, that, yeah. I mean, what do you say to that, Ben? You can't buy that, mate. You can't buy that. You cannot. You cannot. Absolutely. Quite, a, quite an experience. The, the thing for me was, it was always the people. It's like the, the outdoor team are a fantastic bunch. Yeah, I'll bet. Keeps it, it interesting. It must be quite strange to look back on that period of time retrospectively, now that it's gained a lot more momentum within that movement because it has and that that's great you know there's i mean it's splintered off somewhat into different oh, definitely. zones and its own little niches within that because it just had it was just one umbrella but now it's like 10 different umbrellas well in, initially i suppose it all came under the the kind of military survival yeah. umbrella and then it's split off and in a way it's kind of Bushcraft is reforming as its own thing, including bits of all of the other things. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a huge industry now, just huge. And I don't know if, um, you know, if Ray and Lofty Wiseman and people who were starting things way back when could have imagined that it would that it would turn into such a Well, way. just look look at YouTube and, mm -hmm. and um, yeah. there must be I don't know, there must be a thousands. thousands of people that are, you know, making tens of tens of thousands. Tens of thousands, yeah. Easy. Yeah, it's got to be all over the world, different climates, different cultures, countries, and all of that stuff. And and I'm I'm quite pleased about that because I can I can link back to what you said a few moments ago. When you try to bring that into what was a fairly rigid lifestyle at the time, it, you, you you're smashing a round peg through a square hole. Yeah. <laughs> and you know and I always felt like that and I, I felt like that growing into my 20s into my 30s um, until I pretty much met my wife and my wife was like well you know if that's what you like that's what you like mm. so and then I, I took a different angle from it and there's lots of different benefits from this outdoor lifestyle it's not just it's not just going to sleep under a tarp in the middle of nowhere there's problem solving there's you know there's mathematics there's there's the cooking aspects self-reliance there's, there's resourcefulness just, there's just total life skills um I and there's aspects of it that can play to yeah. there's aspects of it which you know want a sort of impetuous all action running around like bear grills kind of um oh no <laughs> um, yeah stop but, for a second i just need to drink my own piss <laughs> <laughs> but but then you've got aspects which are quite scientific if you get really into plant id mushroom id tracking you know there's aspects of it that there's artistic aspects there's there's everything yeah and it's so well rounded so yeah. well rounded mm. we, we find it great with the children we really do just as as a topic and as you've said like with tracking and that and um so you know, you, you've met our son at one of your yes. fairs. <laughs> I think I've met him at a couple of things, actually. You might, I think you might have done, actually. One of Will's things at Grimes Graves, I remember. You could, you could well have done. Um, I'm struggling to remember when that might be, but it's, it's very possible because he's, he's quite enthusiastic about all of this. And so he, he has learning difficulties. But one of the great things is, is that the environment in which you teach and you 
bring this to life, he can absorb. And we so last night, myself and Ben were just sort of fact checking a few things and just trying to do a little research. And I was scrolling through the internet and none of it was sinking in. I can't look at a screen and learn. <laughs> right, Ben, you you just you you've remembered all the dates and everything straight away. So very much like your lad, and all you say he has he has learning difficulties. He is an absolute sponge, and I, I, I'm very much similar actually. Um, so I, I could read something that I'll just end up in a in a rabbit hole of like. <laughs> So I was trying to find out, and I didn't quite get to the bottom of it because I ran out of time, to be quite honest. But it's like, like ninety percent of, like the UK, the genetic population of the UK, ten percent is pre-Balbeka, ninety percent is like Balbeka or something. Genetic makeup. Obviously, you've got other waves after that, Vikings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Wales has the most genetically distinct population in the whole of the British Isles, I think. But basically, even though Saxons came, Angles, Jutes, Vikings, they never really conquered Wales all that well. Normans, etc., the Romans, to call it Celtic is is a is a is a modern in, interpretation that come about in about the 1850s. Before that, they were just well, nothing was known as such. It was just like that's prehistory. I can just absorb that, like I was going to say like, already, like Ben. Water because I'm I'm ridiculously <laughs> interested in it. Um, I mean, it's not that I'm not interested in it, but already you've totally lost me and I can't even remember what you started off on. Uh, well, I, I was looking at like genetic makeups and stuff, um, basically. Populations of Cornwall and Devon, even modern modern day, are genetically distinct from each other. So you need to come markers. and live in rural Norfolk. <laughs> Mate, I don't think there's then any I, genetic diversity there. Then I'll show you what genetics There is zero diversity. There's a book I read recently which was about... Uh, it was about the Fens. It was about it was the memoir of a of a, one of the last families to leave the Fens, kind of in the twenties when they were all drained, and, and the, that very isolated population were sort of scattered. And it sounds like it was the same there as well. You know, that yeah. very very distinct culture and and very. What interested me was a lot of the myths and sort of uh, folklore that they were brought up with, even into you know even in the twenties was very ancient and you could link it back to kind of pre-roman gods and things it's it's all oral history yeah. you know take yeah. the aboriginals for example it, it's been proven that the stories that are given now of events that happened like thirty thousand years ago like oh they saw a, you know a, like a meteor strike or whatever and that was some god telling them that they're they've done something or other and 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 all these people are like that's got me crap. And then they find the meteor strike area and date it to that time. And I think, oh, hold on a second, there's a there's, there's some, a there's no truth in this, an absolute nugget of truth buried in that. It makes but, me wonder what our oral history would have been. You know, we obviously lost it mostly a long, long time ago. You know, when one one or yeah. the other, you know, the Romans or whoever invaded. But you know, we must have had a a, a memory of the great big flood that separated us from Europe at the end of the Ice Age. You know, we, we yeah, must, you must, have, have, must have seen yeah. it coming. Someone yeah. must have seen it coming. Yeah, or lost people in it. You know, there, there must yeah. have been, you know, there used to be a land across the sea, but but we could only see it on clear days now because you know, and that whole tribe just vanished in a great spout of water. It, it must and have that, been there. 100%, there must have been. 
And now in 2021, we've totally removed ourselves from it. <laughs> the irony. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, but that's, that's recorded, unfortunately. <laughs> if you're planning your summer holidays, then check out nearlywildcamping.org for some really cool and exclusive membership locations. this style of learning that part of what you you do day to day under normal circumstances under, under normal circumstances yeah normally we'd be in schools or on their field more likely with the the tent setup that you'll have you'll have seen when we've been at the fair and i can only describe it as like a huge canvas teepee setup with yeah it's, it's kind of like a giant eight meter yurt with skulls hung everywhere and spears and skins yeah. and campfire in the middle and that kind of thing and I mean it's just the minute you walk in you can't help but take yourself back mm. I think it's brilliant it's one of my favorite moments of the the school visits because both myself and my colleague uh, Jay we both have reindeer for sleeping bags now that we've made brilliant. so when the kids come in we have them crawl in through this tunnel which I don't think we would have had last time we saw you no but we've got this this canvas and then they come into the tent and it looks like no one's in there so we'll, we'll hide. But one of my favourite bits of the visit is, is I'll, I'll watch them come in. And, you know, you can hear the kids being all, you know, oh, what's in here? And then they'll, they'll get to the end of the tunnel and stand up. And, just go, and, yeah. and their faces, because kids get cynical at such a young age now. Yeah, they, they do. They forget how to use their imagination. They forget to be amazed by things. They think it's all fake. Yeah. Um, we get that a lot, kind of, oh, it's fake, it's fake, you're fake, you know, it's not even real skin. Well, it's, a it's a recreation, it's a, it's a reproduction mm -hmm. of something that actually happened, that there's evidence for, and okay, you might not know the height, you're roughly there, you know, you can you yeah. can, you can can gauge off of the post hole that was there, was and you there. can say, you know, well, that post hole must have been eight metres, or, you know, for me growing up, I was mind-blowing by a everything and we've got a nearly seven year old and he's not that fussed about mm. like this 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 wouldn't i don't think would interest him you know as it would me and I, i'd be the bigger kid ultimately because yeah. i'd be blown away by it yeah it's sad i think i don't think kids have lost their imaginations necessarily but i think their imaginations and they've lost the mm. idea that you can find adventure in a book you can find adventure outside. You can find adventure yeah. yourself. Perhaps having, say, electronic devices in, in the home allows them to not be as bored, if you know what I mean. Quick they're fixes. Exactly. They're constantly kept busy. Their imagination is spoon-fed, ready-made. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, if you're, if you're bored, you start... Yeah, your mind wanders. You just drift off into it. Yeah, some story or... To be fair, I've been so looking forward to tonight that I've done nothing but just use my imagination all week. <laughs> just gone off on a tangent at the most bizarre moments. You know, I should. Well, I am working, obviously, just for the record. But you know, suddenly I'm, think, I'm thinking about you know so many thousands of years ago, and I got, oh, I've got to, I've got to bring it back on track. Focus. You know, I, you know I'm, I'm guilty of it myself of, of being too involved with technology it's one of the ironies of, of kind of doing what I do 
you know, I've got a YouTube channel, I've got Instagram, I've got Facebook, I've got all of this. I have to keep all of that ticking over and emails and on one hand. And then on the other hand, I'm, you know, tanning fox bladders in a jug of tea in the kitchen. Yeah. I did see it's, fox it's, bladder. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? And I read the script like fox bladder through vessels. Like, no way. I... It's brilliant, though, because the, what it does do is, is it, it opens up the way in which your mind works. And you think... Mm you see something that you never thought could be used before and then you turn around and you might it feeds that creative um sort of energy and i think that's yeah, great creativeness but also a sort of a pract on a practical level it's being able to look at a material or a thing and imagine other uses for it well you um, see the worth in it i guess mm, yeah there's a value yeah. to everything isn't from there? a material point of view there's there's a, there's a worth to it that mm. you, you could reuse it for something or and there's, there's something very little from... that you can't use for something uh, one way yeah. it's just having yeah. the time and the the wherewithal to to do it ingenuity yeah. to figure it yeah. out as well and the, and the patience and the space <laughs> i mean my the bottom of my fridge is full of deer stomachs at the moment it's stinking. <laughs> um, but that's that's the price i and everyone i live with pays Been Camping, the Camping and Outdoors podcast. There's not a lot of uh, women like yourself that do what you do, is there? No, there aren't. I mean, there's there's a few notable people. I mean, Willow Law was kind of my, uh, not exactly mentor, but I worked with her a few times in my, my really early days at Woodlaw and actually getting back in touch with her recently. Um, we we all got involved in some filming with Will for a Japanese documentary. It was hilarious. Um, and I can Willow, imagine that. Did not, I've seen, <laughs> I've seen <laughs> some Japanese TV. and <laughs> It was a documentary about Stonehenge. I have no idea what their theory was, but it, it was pretty off the wall. We watched it, but obviously couldn't understand it. But the, we spent about six days in a wood in the back of beyond, sort of somewhere between Thetford and the Wash. I have no idea where. And uh, it was it was Will, Will's dad, Scott, uh, who is a, a very good carver and a, f a friend of Will's, yeah. uh, Willow Law, Werner, who is a uh, Austrian German um, survival. Well, he's a primtech. He he runs okay. the Albersdorf Stone Age Centre, I believe. Right. Okay. And, and organises the Stone Age European Stone Age. Yeah. They, anyway, really good group of us, and, and we were just. We just had so much fun, but it was talking to Willow there that sent me down a, a, a path that I'm sort of going down at the moment and, and encouraged me to do stuff with the, the company that she works with, which has been really good fun. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of others, but yeah, like you say, there aren't many. And I don't, I don't know why that is necessarily. Uh, I think, yes, there are some in some companies and, and in some places there are some issues. And I think... The, the aspects of bushcraft and, and ancient skills or primitive skills, whatever you want to call them, that would have been probably traditionally women's skills, things like basketry and tanning and things, yeah. have been ignored until fairly recently, at least in Britain. Yeah. And it's, and it's com companies like um, Living by Nature, they, they pay a lot of attention to those skills, those, those kind of more crafty skills they have a much better balance of men and women in their team. In fact, I think they've got more women than men in the team. 
they've got a fantastic yeah. bunch. Whereas in the UK, it's not so good necessarily. And no, it's not. And I, again, I, I, you're right. I don't know why that is either. And I think um, traditional values have something to well, not traditional in the like you know you're doing the dishes and stuff like that. But good. <laughs> <laughs> Just as you clear well, that one up. <laughs> that's 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 my job, might I add. I am the dishwasher in this house. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's still seen as a male dominated. It is. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. Blokes with knives in woods. Yeah, so many like, blokes, so many knives. Yeah. And, and um, do you, yeah, there is a lot of knives. Well, sometimes I feel that like I haven't really evolved that much as a person. I mean, I know it, it from Norfolk, mate. <laughs> There's no evolution there. <laughs> Six degrees of separation, and I'm right back there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised you haven't got web feet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, future podcast, Ben. Um, <laughs> but I do feel like I haven't really evolved some some days, and you know this, this sort of inner desire to do things that mm. you know it doesn't really leave you. And there's some things historically, whether we like it or not, and I'm quite happy for our gender specific, isn't there? Yeah. So, um, maybe that's part of the reason, and hopefully we're 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 part of the the change in time where this now stops. I I think it is changing, and I, I think, like you say, part of it is this sort of stereotypical stereotypical view, view absolutely, yeah. and, and probably the, the the roots of bushcraft or the bushcraft industry in this country were in the military survival side, and I just don't think that appeals to many women. Like, literally, who would it appeal to? Go and crawl through a ditch full of mud and then sleep in a leaky shelter to prove how, how hench we are. That's just stupid. Why would anyone do that? You're getting about drinking your own piss. <laughs> and I think that has, has led to the, the situation we've got where, in this country at least, a vast majority of the instructors are men, which means that perhaps the way things are taught is geared towards men. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, women can do any of the skills we teach on courses as well, if not better. Uh, you know, yeah. something I've noticed over the years is that, you know, I teach men and women slightly differently because the for something like bow drill, for example, at least for the first couple of days, a lot of men, not all, but a lot of men will be able to use brute force and ignorance. Bully their way through yeah. it almost. Yeah. But after that, they won't be able to get it at all because they're knackered. Yeah. Whereas the women, you know, they'll take longer to get the hang of it. But once they've got it, so they get they the hang of it. it. They've got the skill. They've learned the yeah. skill. Yeah. They've properly learned it. And, and yeah. it, the same goes for all of the things, you know, knife work. Can't do it with muscle because we haven't got it. Yeah. So you have to use technique. Technique. Properly. Yeah, absolutely. That's um, really interesting that actually. I can see that with, with my son and daughter. And they, they do the same things. We give them the same tasks. They have the same challenges and everything. And yet the way in which they approach it is, is totally different. And that's, that in itself is quite fascinating. Yeah, you, you can see that in, in craft skills. You know, not always. I know quite a few men who are amazing at, you know, really delicate uh, scrimshoring and, and basketry and all sorts of things. But it can be harder. Your hands just aren't tuned to doing really delicate things. And that can be an occupational thing as well. Yeah. If, if you have worked doing a job that requires you to, you know, have strong hands but not to be able to do really fine motor skills, then that's what you're going to be good at. And it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, male or female or, or whatever. I think the other thing as well, though, is that because of imbalance in the way things are in this country, 
the way courses are run, sometimes you know, there's very small things you can do in the way a course is run to make it easier for women to be on that course. And it's just little things like having a designated pea tree for women that is near enough that right. you have the 20 minute round trip to go to the trench because the men can go off during the tea break. Yeah, um, sure. It's convenient. <laughs> exactly. So it's just yeah. thinking about those little things. And I think some people, it just won't occur to them. And some people are sort of embarrassed to ask the question, you know, okay, what can we do for you ladies on this course? What can we do for you that would make this just more convenient? And it's just little things like that. I mean, I, I did an article for the Bushcraft Journal recently, you know, just, just highlighting a few <laughs> useful things that I've noticed over the years. Because Is that, is that with Dan Reed? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That was, it was a couple of issues ago. Um, but it, it was just things like, you know, so for instance, hormones are regulated partly by emotions. There's a kind of interrelationship there. So if a woman comes on a bushcraft course and it feels like she's, dumped herself in at the deep end and is very stressed it's quite likely she's going to have a period when she wasn't expecting one right okay told you that it's a major inconvenience yeah of course um and and, you know it's not a big deal it's not a big drama but it's an inconvenience yeah it's an inconvenience and it's unfamiliar and it's another thing you know i've I've known people on courses and the, the one that springs to mind was a young man who it was his first time away from home he was at the beginning of a gap year the thing that tipped him over the edge into tears was realising he didn't know where he was supposed to spit his toothpaste when he brushed his teeth. Wow. Because it was just all too much. The first night he was in a foreign country, in the woods, in the dark, under a tarp, and he realised he didn't know even that much. You see, I can, I can relate to that, actually, because we, we, we talked about our son and um, with the challenges that he has, there's, it's, it's not the big stuff. So, um, you know, a couple of years ago, my, my wife had a really nasty accident, actually, and she, she smashed her arm up. And he was there at the time, and he, he dealt with the whole situation better than most adults. Between myself and him and one other, we, we dealt with the situation. And he took that all in his stride. Now, if you asked him exactly, you know, what you did, he didn't know where to spit his toothpaste out that night, for example, that, that can just crumble him. It's it's the it's the old thing I think of the the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, you know if, yeah. if someone who's running the course or whoever happens to be there staff wise at the moment doesn't know well you know, how how to just navigate around that moment, then that might be a reason someone goes home, yeah. and it never should have been because it's something <clears throat> so small. Uh, I think you need to be adept at man management as well. Yes, definitely. So and it, I, that's what I do for a living, actually. And I find that everyone is ever so slightly different. Uh, some people, they like a pat on the back. Some people like the oven gloves. Some people like a cuddle. Some people just like to be left alone. And some people just like to come in, do the job, go away, you know. And I think you'll probably find that on these, on these courses that you've, you've probably got a similar, similar kind of selection of people that you'll have people that they'll just take the instruction and go, right, I know what I need to do. You'll have some that will go, think I know what I need to do and then you're gonna have some that go well, I heard you speak <laughs> none of it went in yeah yeah what you, you're talking about <laughs> a, huge, a huge range of people and it's it's something that maybe we we became aware that we were doing it but actually decided not to try and 
stop doing it is that when when a group of, of customers would arrive for the course you'd quite quickly start to see all those different characters and you'd sort of mentally be be clocking away well oh, that come. person has a bit of a short fuse that person is a bit disorganized that person is a bit looks a bit lost probably they're newer to this than so you sort of psychoanalyze people almost yeah, and, and, and compartmentalize them so you can you obviously do that to bring the best out of them because once you've yeah. um, worked out well you've got to know what what buttons to press with people yeah what people traits you know yeah. you have within your group you can then work with it can't you you can but it you know it's one of those things where taken to to not to an extreme it would it would be a sort of prejud prejudicial thing but it's that's not why we were doing it it was just an automatic assessment of, of kind of i think that's built into like us actually yeah. yeah i think it, i think it is built into us i think we all we all do that don't we i i know, I know we've within probably five minutes whether i like someone or not i just know yeah, oh, yeah been, um, there's something we've been meaning to tell you <laughs> <laughs> oh sorry sorry is that it then I'll, uh... <laughs> yeah, you, you'll, it. Find, you'll find the leave button at the bottom right of your screen. <laughs> all right let me let me just oh there it is yeah anyway um <laughs> as long as you're prepared to change your mind in the light of new evidence then it's fine yeah always yeah work. like say sort of people's attitudes and stuff perhaps so if i'm given a a bad attitude i just think i don't really like you because there's yeah, no need to, to be dickish or or anything like that you know coming on courses i think it, some people had some people arrived with the attitude that they would absorb they would get better by osmosis right, <laughs> right. They, would get better, they would be able to do the things just by having been there not yeah. by listening or by actually extracting the digit and and doing it and yeah. really trying and asking the questions, but just by being there, and that that can be really hard work. Well, that's that's like saying that you download Netflix and makes you a movie star, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's that's the mentality these days. Is we, we've lost that sort of you know things take time. If you want to get good at something, yeah, they it's do. Going to take years. The whole ten thousand hours or whatever the philosophy yeah. is. You know, oh, I've been on. I've been on this one day course flint napping. I, I really think I should be able to nap a Danish dagger by now. Doing <laughs> <laughs> it ten years, I can't even get close. <laughs> yeah. I'd forgotten about that actually. But one of the questions that we wanted to ask you, and we we have asked you already, what do you think that we've lost? And I've just I've just realised I've just had that epiphany is as you said earlier and by watching youtube it doesn't make you an expert in anything no it gives you an idea um but it gives you something to inspire you to go and practice and things but can't you know watching bow drill videos does not make you good at bow drill and yeah it's spent hours 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 i'm no good either hours it, and i still can't do it <laughs> I've done it. I've only done it once. Uh, so it's once. quite a complicated little bit. We'll do. It, I, you know. you'll get you'll get there though, Ben. You'll get there through just perseverance. You know, you just keep you just you keep doing mistakes yourself. And yeah, and this is the evolution of it, isn't it? Is that you make a you make a or you do something that doesn't work. So you leave out that aspect that didn't work, and then you change it, and then the next time it will work, and then you remember what did work, and that is evolution right in front of you. And yeah. sometimes you you could watch videos where someone's talking about those mistakes a thousand times and it wouldn't help you just got to do it you've got yeah. to feel the drill oscillating slightly off center you've got well, to feel the string slipping yeah. you've got to 
you know. I can't do it. So. Wobbling away. <laughs> sort of trying to, like, talking about it does not make me do it. <laughs> it's, you know, it's no more, it's no different in some ways to, to reading a book. And, you know, you, you look at a book on, on plants and their uses, say, and it, and it says, oh, you can use nettles for making string. Well, yeah, you can. You, you can use them for lots of things, but there's an entire book just on that sentence. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's a whole series of books on... It's a massive... It's just huge, isn't it? It's huge. And every single one of those flippant little sentences in some survival manual is an entire book in itself. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. You've you just got constant tangents and rabbit holes you could go off on. And it can feel really daunting. So I, I wonder if if part of the the sort of fascination with YouTube is that it, it almost dulls, it sort of dulls the uh, eatingness yeah, of, of it, that huge subject and, and just sort of... It kind of quen quenches that desire to tick things yeah. off almost. And you're sort of like, well, you know, I've done this, I've got in the garden. That, so I don't need yeah. to... Yeah, I've been 10 years into practicing it for no, real because you can't do it all you can't no, you do it all can't. and um you know that one of the hardest things these days is trying to work out what it is you do actually want to do i mean we've, we've had many conversations during the last 12 months haven't we ben and we both came back to the same conclusion we i mean we do you know carving and ben you do a bit of leather work and stuff and you know. i've got a hold all stuffed with leather <laughs> It's just not, it's stuff, not it's, the leather that you'd know, Sarah, uh, but bought stuff. Like, uh, yeah. It's chrome tanned. Yeah, good stuff to practice with. It, it's it's it makes nice nice. I made a wallet out of it. You know? I'm I'm regularly climbing into skips to to take a Stanley knife to leather sofas. Sofas. <laughs> you know, it's all useful stuff. And having, yeah. having made leather, I can't bear to see it being thrown away. It like just. Yeah. yeah, you see, that's something that I really share, which is that I, I think everything has a second life. And, mm. um, you know, you yes. people mistake that with me being tight. I'm not tight. <laughs> you know, when I when I need to spend money, I'll spend money quite happily. But why spend money when you've got something mm. that can already be used if you're creative? Yeah. And my missus thinks I'm a hoarder because I think I'm not chucking that <laughs> away. I'll find a use for that. Well, the, the, <laughs> trouble, the trouble with doing... What I do now is that, you know, all of these random tins of teeth and feathers and God knows what I've been hoarding since I was seven or so, they they really are useful. I am using them one day. Yeah, they're coming so, back. It, you know, all of the, the shells and the stones with holes in them and the whatever, they are useful. I was completely justified in hoarding them for all these years. <laughs> so yeah. do you, with all of that then? With like the teeth and feathers, shells. I take it you do make your own jewelry, but yeah, it, you... I, I give them to people. I yeah, I make them into things. Next I year, guess... we we should be doing a uh, was it the international bushcraft gathering or festival in Holland. I'm doing a little oh, yeah. workshop on Stone Age jewelry, so I'm hoarding all manner of things to make in you know to, so people can have a go at drilling holes in them and but so, you never know when a project's just i'm going to get the get the urge to do a particular project and and some of these things take years to accumulate enough to do yeah a it's funny you should say that and you have the privilege of seeing i've gone to extra effort tonight yeah you've got some <laughs> is it teeth and antler it is. yeah and, and yeah oh yeah some fox teeth yeah yeah fox fox teeth so the the, the fox teeth uh headband <laughs> We were out walking in Wales 
uh, one lovely afternoon and we came across this carcass and my son was like, that seems like a shame that it's just left there rotting. I went, well, you know, it's kind of nature. So yeah. and he went, but it's, it's such a waste, you know, it's such a remarkable animal. And I'm like, okay, so what do you want to do? He said, well, I'd like to take it home. I was like, what, all 320 miles? <laughs> stinking juicy carcass exactly yeah. so I, I did say to him well, well we'll perhaps sleep on it and he did and he didn't change his mind and so on the last day that was us uh, having a, a fox head wrapped up in three fertilizer bags <laughs> traveling all the way the other side of the country with all the windows open so when we finally got back here the first thing i did was take said carcass out of the out of the car and i threw it in the back garden and I left it there for a, about six weeks and totally forgot about it. And my, my wife came in one morning, she went, I, I think we're going to have to call the vets. I said, what for? She said, well, you know, the, the chickens haven't laid eggs for like six weeks now. I'm like, right, yeah. And then it suddenly dawned on me, of course, that this, this musky old fox carcass was right next to their hen house. And of course, and you know, why, would, by it. why would they lay an egg when they think that there's a fox you're, around the corner? You're a sadist, you know, like you're a chicken sadist. <laughs> But that that said, I, we dealt with we dealt with the carcass by making some jewellery out of it. And actually, you know, we laugh about it, but the whole point of it was is that he saw something that had expired. Brutally honest, yes, it was a majestic animal. It had come to its natural end, and his way of remembering that and like almost like a reincarnation. It's it's something that that the general public um, seem to have difficulty understanding uh, you know I, I've often had had people call me cruel for dispatching injured road hit animals or things with mitosis or whatever there's you know, nothing or, cruel about that no You're doing it a favor people can't they can't equate killing something with doing it a kindness and they also can't equate you know a process such as taking an animal apart and using the bits which yes can be done with respect but it is quite a brutal process you know you're taking it to bits yeah. they can't equate that with showing it respect either that's because you buy that's, chicken in a packet that's yeah, what it is cellophane wraps it just comes cellophane without, wraps it takes without you, any you emotional take, attachment you take that bit out of it and you go right what's for dinner tonight oh we've got a steak it's a lovely piece from the butchers but what you didn't see is about two weeks prior to that the cow going into the abattoir at the back and having a bolt gun to its head, jobs are good in, you we've, know. We've had, uh, there was one really memorable school, because um, I've taken over the, the school's side of the things from Will now, but when Will was still doing school visits with us, and he was telling this great big story about how, as a Stone Age hunter, you, by the time you got good enough at sneaking up on animals, that you could get close enough to kill one with a bow or a spear or whatever, you, you would know all of the animals in your patch, and you would probably have some kind of a, feeling about you know you wouldn't want yeah. to go out killing willy-nilly but you knew you had to to survive yeah and this so you would take only what you need yeah and, and also because it's a lot of work you know hunting i've never done hunting but it's a lot of work but th this little girl she was only about seven or eight she said if you don't like killing things so much why don't you just eat chicken oh. <laughs> and well genuinely <laughs> didn't know that the chicken was an animal yeah, and, you know, you could see Will mentally just face palming 
because it's like, oh, what do we do with this? I can actually visit. I can visit that. I really can. <laughs> she, she genuinely, she wasn't being funny. You know, she genuinely didn't realise that chicken was an animal, which is ridiculous. And, but and, that's not the only time that's happened. We've had virtually the same same comment at other schools. I, I mean, I don't find myself as someone that's squeamish. I have hunted. You know, I could quite easily be a vegetarian. I could probably go vegan, to be honest, um, bar the the odd slab of steak every few months on a campfire. <laughs> but I mean, it doesn't. It, you know, that that side of things, the meat aspect, doesn't really bother me a great deal. Again, I've been out with my children, and they've they've seen like a, a squirrel get run. Out. I'm kind of like, well, you know, it's not really the end of the story, but it's important for children to understand this. I feel in the the entire life cycle doesn't the end doesn't need to be the end mm. you know you, there's, there's good after that we've we've done it and again like with my son you know we've we've managed to find a plastic bag that's caught in a bramble bush and we've picked up said squirrel we've taken it home we've we've dissected it learned science we've learned biology and then we've dealt with the the pelt and you know he looks at it now and every time he sees a squirrel in a tree he wants to protect it the hunters from thousands of years ago you have to understand them and appreciate them as well it's i mean i i don't hunt mostly because i'm not very interested in guns i think if you could bow hunt in this country i might be tempted but i'm not interested in guns so i don't have the the nerdiness to apply myself to to learn mm. how to use a gun properly and and i feel that the animals that i would be shooting deserve that level of of attention but i do use the bits and bobs that that other hunters have shot that would normally go to waste and it's yeah it's a i think because most modern hunting at least in, in this country is done with guns for some people not for all i mean deer stalkers for example most of the deer stalkers i've met have a their own quiet not quite spiritual spirituality but their own quiet set of of uh, beliefs and kind of best practice that they stick to yeah and a, a feeling of, of real deep respect for the animals that they're hunting i think people who, who hunt with a shotgun maybe not quite so much but it is there but if you if you're having to stalk that much closer with a with a bow or spear or whatever then you have to have spent that much more time it changes the dynamics doesn't it completely yeah you're much more on an even footing and you're much you have an appreciation for, for what you're eating because if it's took you eight hours to follow something and you've got to get downwind of it so to speak mm. and get around on it from where it's moving to without being spotted there's a lot of effort it yeah. becomes a battle a, yeah it's, it's a fairly even battle of wills and, and intelligence quite frankly in this this lockdown it's been there's more of a battle going to get toilet paper than there is a, a <laughs> chicken off the shelf right <laughs> so, yeah. uh, God. well we hope you had as much fun listening to that as we did making it stay tuned for the next episode coming soon and thanks for listening to the bean camping podcast <laughs>